This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll and is part seven of our summer series, Growing Together in God's Household. Well, at Resurrection, we, we talk a lot about leadership. It's something that when I first came here, I, I didn't fully get um, 10 years ago when we first started coming. I didn't understand the importance of leadership. Um, and after swimming in these waters now for long enough, I've become a full convert of the importance of leadership. So today what we're going to do in, in diving into 1 Timothy 5, which is uh, next in our series, working our way through the book of 1 Timothy through uh, the early part of our summer, and we're going to look at leadership from the lens of 1 Timothy chapter 5. And we're going to break this chapter into three sections. The first two sections, uh, we're going to see what the heart of a leader is, and that the heart of the leader uh, in God's kingdom is humble. And in verses 3 through 18, we're going to take a look at the hands of the leader, that the leader is to take care of those in his or her charge. And then finally, uh, in the final verses of, of chapter 5, verses 19 to 25, we'll see about the head of the leader, that the leader is one who must seek wisdom. Because the, the reality is, we've said this along the way in our series, that even though Paul is writing this letter to a leader in the church, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit, he was sort of in the role of bishop, close equivalent, uh, everything that he's saying to Timothy applies to us, every single one of us, because you're a leader when you have someone following you, which means if there's a seven-year-old girl in, in Sunday school with pink sparkly shoes and she looks up to you, even if it's once a week, you are her leader. Uh, so whether it's with formal leadership, where there's position whether it's informal leadership where you simply have influence at, at work or in, other, uh, in your friend group, uh, whether it is parenting, which if you're a parent, if you're a mom or your dad, that is probably the most common and important leadership role you will ever have, all of us will have. Um, and at Resurrection, we also like to use the language of spiritual fathers and mothers to say, yes, anybody who is a Christian is in some way responsible for the younger people around you for their faith, for their growth and their nurture in the Word of God and in following Jesus. So all of us are called to leadership in some way or another. And if you're not now in a place of leadership, you will be soon. So let's begin looking at the heart of the leader. The heart of a leader in God's view. Um, when, heart, when we talk about the heart, we're talking about what's at the core? What's the center, the most important thing? And for a leader who wants to lead like Jesus, absolutely number one, the heart of leadership is humility. A leader must have a humble heart. And humility must be at the core of leadership. And that's true whether you're exercising leadership in specifically a Christian or a church setting or whether it's leadership in a non-Christian setting, it's all the same. If you're leading in the workplace, if you're leading a team of coworkers, for you to be a leader that is pleasing in God's eyes, to be the leader that God wants you to be in that situation, humility is at the center of that call. Jesus talked a lot about this. Several times He would say things like, those who are first, you must be last. And if you want to be great, 
you must become like one who serves. Notice he doesn't say, no one should try to be great. He says, no, try to be great, but here's how you do it. Serve those in your charge. And he said of himself, that's what I came to do. I came to serve. He said, look around you. You see examples all around you of people who say, if I'm in leadership, that means people serve me. Jesus said, it is not that way in my kingdom. I mean, this is, this is why we need the Word of God, because we are citizens of a kingdom, not of this world, which means for us to receive training. And what does it mean to be a citizen in a kingdom, not of this world? We're not going to get it by looking around us here. We need divine inspiration. So Jesus says, um, I came not to be served, but to serve. Now, this is not to deny authority. Jesus was really clear about who he was and the authority that he had. In the story of him washing the feet of the disciples, he said, you call me Lord and teacher, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But then he goes on to wash their feet. So he says, when you have leadership, when you have authority, don't deny or shirk your authority, but exercise your authority together with humility. And then you will be like Jesus, who said, I came to serve. Now, a little more background on Timothy, the, the man, not Timothy, the letter. His position, as I mentioned earlier, is probably closest to what we have in Bishop Stewart. Uh, the exact threefold office of bishop, priest, and deacon wasn't laid out quite yet in the New Testament, although it comes in pretty quickly in the story of Christianity. It, it's it's pretty much there by the end of the first century, beginning of the second century. So what we have here is sort of like a, a proto-example um, of a bishop. So Timothy is technically an elder, but he's overseeing the other elders. An elder in this context translates to priest in our context. And in previous chapters, we heard a few weeks ago, Paul is instructing Timothy about the qualifications of raising up other leaders. So that means Timothy is ultimately in charge of raising others into spiritual authority. That makes him like a bishop. In our passage today, we hear Paul talk about the laying on of hands, which is code for ordination. So Timothy has the authority to ordain others. That also makes him like a bishop. But he's probably somewhere in his 30s. Uh, the verse from last week, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Uh, you see that plastered up all over youth groups all over America. Um, but Timothy was probably in about his 30s. That's okay. You know what? We're still going to be blessed by that. If you're a youth, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, even, even though this is not exactly that. But that's okay. He's probably in his 30s. So even though he's not a teenager, he still is younger than probably most of the priests that are serving him, the elders. He's, he's in authority over those who are older than him, some of them. And also in his church, in the church at Ephesus, which was probably a, a bunch of congregations that met in homes, which is also why he's kind of like a bishop because he's over all of them. Uh, but among those Christians in Ephesus, you better believe there's going to be a fair number that are older than him. So Paul speaks to that right off the bat here in chapter 5, and he says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. And then similarly, he says about women who are older, treat them as mothers. 
So Paul is saying, if you're going to lead, you have to do so humbly. And that really affects the way you treat those who are older than you. Because he's not denying Timothy's authority. Yes, Timothy, you have authority over these who are older than you. But by calling the older men and women fathers and mothers to Timothy, there's a way in which he's saying, but they also have a kind of authority over you, don't they? Because by nature, my father and my mother have authority over me. So he's in a a sense saying, yes, you have authority, but also recognize that sort of uh, informal authority that they have with you because they're older. So listen to them. Learn from them. Respect them. Honor them. And can we just say, as young people my age and down, we can hear these words when we think about our relation to our parents, when we think about our relation to people in our workplace. And he says to Timothy, yet if you do see error in their ways, don't rebuke them like you would someone who is younger. When change is needed in someone who is older, encourage them. In other words, when you're talking with them, paint a compelling picture of the person that that they really truly want to be. Say, look, this, this is who you could be. This is what you're called to as a Christian man or woman. So much so that you're appealing to that sense of, yeah, I, I don't want to be this. I want to be that. In a way that someone who's older can receive. Because if, if you're humiliating those who are older than you, th- uh, Paul is saying that, that would be not a good idea. Don't humiliate them. Don't domineer with your power in order to humiliate those who are older than you. So in your life, in any way that you have leadership that you might be exercising over anyone who's older than you, even if it's just a few years older, but definitely if it's like a few decades older, bear this in mind. Now, there are probably some rare cases. I was just talking with a good friend from my college days who had an unfortunate incident where he had to confront his father in front of their whole family after some really nasty things happened at the wedding of his sister, and things have been building up over and over and over and over, and, and he had to say it. And it was unpleasant, but everybody in the family agreed, no, that needed to be said. So in some rare instances, more open confrontation might be needed, but generally the rule is subtle and gentle suggestion ought to do the trick. Also in verses 1 and 2, when he speaks about those who are younger, so younger men, and younger women, so either Timothy's peers or certainly those who are younger than Timothy, he says, treat them as brothers and sisters. Sisters in all purity, meaning especially sexual purity, because he's just saying, look, you don't want to mess with this. In the intimacy of of pastoral care, you have to be very careful that you're not generating sexual feelings or, or intimacy in any way with those who are sisters. That's why he adds that about women. Of course, that would apply if you're a woman and you're in leadership and there are young men that you are leading, that also applies to you. Make sure that, that, there's, uh, that you're completely above reproach, no uh, shadow at all or, or any sense of uh, impropriety there. But more importantly, he says, treat them as brothers and sisters. This is also a call to Timothy to be humble because we know Timothy has authority, and in other places in the epistles, Paul describes this kind of authority as being like a father in Christ. 
So there's a way in which Timothy is a father in Christ to these younger men and women, but Paul doesn't call him a father here. He calls him a brother. And in a family structure, if you're one of the siblings, you're all on an equal plane. You're, you're not better than the others. You're not lower than the others, but count them as equals is what Paul is saying. That's a call to humility. Yes, you have authority over them, but also count them as equals. Uh, and I wonder if there is a, a special um, application here for anyone who is a mom or a dad or you work with the youth group or the children's ministry, there are children in your life. We have to strike this balance of exercising authority with humility. Children don't need us. Well, what do you think, Teresa? I don't know. What do you think? Uh, live your life the way you… Th no, they need firmness. They need clear direction. They need discipline. They actually crave it. And Julie and I, we have conversations every once in a while where I'm saying, I feel like I'm getting walked over like a doormat. We need to change. And we kind of up our firmness, and the response is always positive. Children need that direction and that firmness. But what is it like if we take this authority given to us and realize they need us to exercise authority and bear in mind, yet, in a way, Teresa is my sister in Christ. Caroline and Simon are my sister and brother in Christ. And in the kingdom of heaven, we truly will be equals. I'm just a brother in Christ who's a little bit further along than they are. So take authority, exercise authority, but do so with humility, knowing that you are equals with everyone. And of course, that applies here in the church, but as you're thinking about your workplace, your staff situations, uh, your other relationships, just let the Lord sift your heart. Do I really think of these other people as my equals, or is there any way in which I kind of look down on my coworkers, or even my spouse, um, or even my children, or my friends? There's this slight contempt where I think I'm better than them. Uh, that's something to, to repent of and say, ah, Lord, help me to be humble. Gregory the Great, in his Pastoral Rule, which is a book that's very practical, all about how to do ministry, he says this, a spiritual director, when he's in the company of the laity who live well, should downplay his position of honor and consider himself as their equal. But for those who persist in sin, he should not be afraid to enact his authority. In the end, because even in doing that, he's serving them. He's loving them by doing that. But the, it, it goes to show that the heart of a godly leader is humble. You exercise authority in order to serve. That's the heart of leadership. Let's talk about the hands of leadership. The hands of the leader take care of those in your charge. That's why it's sometimes referred to as having people in your care. If you look at verses 3 to 18, it's a, it's a long section, and kind of the running theme throughout all of these verses is money. How does Timothy, who is the leader of this community, how does he use the money that is received in the weekly offering to care for the community? Uh, we cut out verses 9 through 16 just for the purposes of length, but just so you know, it's just more detail about which widows should be chosen to receive help and which should not. So Paul is saying, here are the, the two people that you're primary, primarily responsible for, Timothy, those who are poor and the most vulnerable on the one hand, 
and also those who labor in the ministry, those who are leading these congregations that you are overseeing. Those are the two main categories to receive the money that comes in every week. Uh, so let's talk first about his, his um, care for the widows and this idea that leadership is equated with caring for the needs of others. There's a beautiful story in the Old Testament, kind of tucked away in a less known book, Nehemiah, which is set after Jerusalem is destroyed and the Jews have been in Babylon in exile for many years. They are coming back to rebuild Jerusalem. And the governor over them is Nehemiah. And in chapter 5, it describes how Nehemiah comes into the city and he takes a look at what's going on. He sees that the Jewish nobles are oppressing the Jewish peasants. And first thing he says is, look, we're on the same team. We've got enough trouble outside the city walls. Don't cause division within. But then the next thing that he does is he sets up a daily um, feast for 150 people sit at his table. And he makes a special note to say in his prayer to God, God, look with favor on me because I'm not doing this out of the allowance that the king gives me because really the king's allowance still was a tax on the people he was serving. He said, I don't want to be a burden to my people. So I'm, I'm not even going to take the allowance that is mine. Instead, out of my own pocket, I'm going to spread this table for 150 people every day. Uh, how like Jesus yeah, I'm not going to burden these people. And in fact, I'm going to take what is rightfully mine and give it so that they might feed. Amazing. So leadership is equated with this idea of caring for others, making sure that everyone in your charge has both physical as well as spiritual needs met. And Paul's instructions here about caring for the poor and caring about those who labor in ministry, this is nothing new. If you look in the law of Moses, this was the same pattern that was set up uh, by Moses. Uh, one such passage is Deuteronomy 14, where he says about the tithe, which is the idea that when you get your income or when, when the harvest comes in, you take the top 10%, you give that to the temple and the work of God. And in Deuteronomy 14, where it's saying, give the tithe, then it also says this, and you shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household, and the Levite, who, whose work was the religious work of the temple, because he has no portion or inheritance. They were not given land when Israel came into the promised land, because the Lord says, I am your portion. So take care of the Levite, because he's got no other means to support himself. Also, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. In other words, the poorest of the poor. Those who are within your towns, they shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. And then he goes on from there, Moses, to explain in detail what it looks like to set aside a certain portion and how often you should do it, and that it goes to the Levites and to the poor. So Paul's not introducing anything new. Um, and, and to prove that, he, he quotes from Deuteronomy the verse about the ox treading out the grain, which I'll explain in just a minute. Well, let's talk about the widows. So you've heard the saying... There are three types of people in the world, those who can count and those who can't. All right, so Paul is saying there are two types of widows, those who truly are in need and those who are not truly in desperate need financially. Some have family and support systems to take care of them. Others have none, perhaps because when they converted to Christ, their family disowned them. 
perhaps because they moved far away and then they became a widow, their husband died, or perhaps because they simply never had children and they don't have close relatives. But for whatever reason, Paul is saying to Timothy, these who are most poor and vulnerable, take care of them and put them on your list. Now, the idea of a list, we don't know exactly what that is. It might be referring to some early form of, of monastic life. Vows might have been taken and, and a commitment to pray and to do service and good works, as is indicated there in verse 5. She's truly a widow who's left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So that could be what it's referring to. Also, verses 11, 12, and 13, which are not printed, kind of give an idea that there might be some kind of vow that you, you take to be put on this list, or that it's a serious deal to be put on this list. So Paul is saying, be careful who you put on this list. The leader is one who is supposed to have the helping hands to care for his people or her people, but do this with wisdom and discretion. Apparently, there were some widows, uh, especially who were younger, who were receiving financial help from the church, but then rather than devoting their life to prayer and good service, as he says in, in verse 6, they were living self-indulgently. They were living luxuriously. They were going to the golf course every day and eating at fancy restaurants. And they had no responsibility. They weren't working. They weren't raising a family. And all of this on the tab of the church. And he says pretty strong things. He says that kind of selfishness is deadly. It's deadly to the soil, soul. And we would agree. We would say, yeah, that's not good. As humans, we're made to be industrious, to be productive, to have responsibility and to work. Those are all good things. Um, and if you're enabling somebody to not be taking responsibility in their lives, you're actually not helping them grow as a person. So Paul's saying, don't do that. Um, there are other widows who had families that could care for them, but these families are not stepping up to their duty. And Paul uses, again, really strong language in verse 8. If they do not provide for their relatives, and especially for the members of his household, that one has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Strong language. Because Paul is saying to Timothy, anybody who's doing that, teach them, have, help them to understand they need to be uh, doing their duty. But to put a positive spin on this, not just you need to do this, but look in verse 4. Let them first learn to show godliness. This is an opportunity for someone to show godliness, to take care, to make financial sacrifices, to care for the people in your life is an opportunity for joy, not a burden. And last week when we talked about training for godliness, we said, look, there are multiple ways, a variety of ways that you can train and, and pursue godliness alongside of prayerful engagement of Scriptures. And here Paul is saying, here's one really good way to do that, financially caring for your family, extended family, the people in your life. You do that, that's godliness. That's the kingdom of God in small day-to-day -day ways, but, but really that's the stuff of what discipleship and becoming like Christ is made of. So take care. Um, and don't miss out. Don't let this family miss out on the opportunity to grow in godliness. And, and I love this story from Mother Teresa. I've probably even told it here before, uh, where she sends out some sisters to bring a bowl of rice to a poor family. And as soon as the mother of that family takes the bowl of rice, 
She immediately grabs another bowl, divides the rice in half, gives the new bowl to her child and says, go across the street. And she just looks at the sisters and says, they also are hungry. The sisters went back to Mother Teresa and said, give us more rice. We, we, we have to go. They, they had hardly anything and they gave half of it away. And Mother Teresa said, no, I will not deprive them of the dignity of giving. I will not deprive them of the dignity of also making a sacrifice for others. So Paul is saying, let those who have the opportunity to give and to take care of their family to do that, to show love. And you know, it's true, the world is watching uh, us to see, do we love one another? And one of Jesus' key strategies for evangelism that he gives in John 13, he says, love one another as I have loved you. That's how the world will know you're my disciples. That's one of his key strategies for evangelism. You want to proclaim the gospel to the world around you? Take care of your family here. And that will be a clear witness. All right, so on to verse 17 and 18. He speaks about the elders who rule and those who teach are worthy of double honor. And here, the meaning of honor is not simply referring to social honor, but it is talking about money. He's saying, pay them. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Those are actually words of Jesus there that we heard in our gospel today. That wasn't planned, not by us anyway. So he's saying, not only are you to care for the poor, but you're also to care for those who labor in the ministry in the work of the church. That's part of what the weekly um, tithe or the offerings go to. Um, it's sort of like when you go berry picking. Um, or this is, sorry, to explain the ox treading out the grain. When an animal is working and, and there's grain falling on the ground, the, the animal was allowed to eat the grain rather than being stingy and saying, no, 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 no. We sweep up the grain and we keep it all. Uh, the law in Deuteronomy says, let the animal eat because it's working too, so it should eat some of the grain that's falling. Paul is using that to say, look, this doesn't really apply. This is not about animals. This is about people. Those who are laboring in the work of the church should receive their income from the church. So that verse about the ox and the grain, it's kind of like when you go berry picking. Most of us would consider it cruel uh, to say to a child, okay, fill up that pail with all those berries, but don't you eat a single one, right? Most of us would say, hey, that's cruel, unless you're Dutch. Then that's just the way you do things. So Paul is saying, look, in a way, like the widows, those who are spending their time, their work hours, their energy in the week for the work of the church, they don't have another source of income. So make sure that they also are provided for so that they can devote their full energy. Now, there are times where there are some who have uh, wealth independently, um, and they're able to contribute to the to serve and minister in the church without needing a salary, and that's a beautiful and wonderful gift. And Paul himself would do that sometimes, where he would work and make money on the side um, so as not to be a burden on the church. But he also makes it really clear in this passage, as well as 1 Corinthians 9, if you want to look at that further, that it is actually commanded, it is normative that those who labor in the church should receive their salary from the church. Now, at Resurrection, I, we get this. I don't need to hammer this home because... Uh, the, the vestry who's in charge of our finances 
really understands, yes, we, we need to pay our pastors. I'm really thankful for that. Uh, but I do make a point of it uh, for you to keep in mind in the event that, God forbid, you move away and you leave us, but you find yourself in another church in a place of influence, maybe you're on the elder board or, or whatever, and, and you might encounter this idea that, no, no, we shouldn't really be paying ministers. They should all be like Paul and do tent making. Then you can stand up and you can say, do not muzzle the ox while he treads out the grain. And if they're looking at you like, what are you talking about? You know, treading out the grain. Take him to First Timothy. All right, so how does this apply to us today? Well, with the widows, I think it means that we need to be thoughtfully generous. And we need to think, okay, who are those in our society who are in most need? It, it, it might be widows, or it might be those who are not technically, technically widows, maybe single mothers and their children. Uh, who are the most vulnerable? And especially in the church, how do we care for them first? Not because we're mean to the people outside, but because it would be unthinkable. How could we overlook those in our midst who are struggling financially? We must care for them first. And then, of course, if there's abundance, as Paul says in Galatians, as you have opportunity, then also do good to those who are outside the church. But take care of the church first. Again, it's so that people looking in from the outside would say, I, I want to be a part of that. They take care of each other, financially, too. And uh, for this idea of the tithe, um, there is a question sometimes of, like, do we give 10% or not? And we don't want to be legalistic about that, but at the same time, we do encourage people and say that that is the standard. If you're able to give 10% to the work of God, what a joy to do that. What spiritual freedom that brings, what joy even in your finances, make that your goal. I invite you into that, uh, like Teresa invited the family into sacrifice. Last, I'll just say quickly um, that as leaders… So we've talked about the heart, we've talked about the hands, finally the head. Uh, nothing like leadership will prove to you your need for wisdom, right? Remember Solomon, who was made the king of Israel, and the first thing he said was, God, give me wisdom. And if you've ever been in a leadership position, you know what that feels like. God, I don't know what I'm doing. Give me wisdom. And so in this passage, Paul lists off a number of things that as you're reading them, yeah, that, that requires wisdom and discernment. Like, dealing with accusations against your other leaders, um, or dealing with leaders when there is strong evidence that they're sinning, saying re rebuke them openly, or this idea of not being hasty in the laying on of hands. Be patient. Discern who is truly being called to ordination. And finally, there's that curious verse about the sins of those go before them and, and the sins of others are hidden. And I think in the context of him warning against maybe those who would be trying to scam the church for money, he's saying, look, yes, look into the heart of your people and discern motives. See what it is that they're really after. That takes wisdom. So Paul is saying, if you're a leader in the church, have a humble heart. Have hands that are ready to take care of those in your charge. And have a mind that's seeking wisdom. But of course, even if you're not a leader in the church, in whatever capacity you are a leader, humble heart, hands that take care of those in your charge, and a mind that's seeking wisdom. God help us to do that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.